Hello, I'm really glad you joined us online. We're going to talk about guilt today, but not to try to make you feel guilty, but to help you get rid of guilt. Psychology Today's definition of guilt is when one causes harm to another, guilt is a natural emotional response. I think it goes deeper than emotions at times. It it strikes me to the very core of my being sometimes. Guilt is self-focused, but also highly socially relevant. It serves essential interpersonal functions by, for example, encouraging the repair of valuable relationships and discouraging acts that would further damage them. That it does. It Guilt, I don't like feeling guilty. So it restrains me at times from doing what I would normally do. What I would do if I just threw caution to the wind. The only real way to deal with our guilt is to confess our sins. And we'll see how that works in a moment in this message. But we can get tied up with guilt and focus on ourselves, which is totally counterproductive in our lives. However, there are several ways we try to deal with guilt without owning up to it, without admitting it. First, we try to be good enough to make up for it. Virtue signaling is a popular way we try to get rid of our guilt today. Virtue signaling is posting on social media and other ways on the Internet the good things you've done. Virtue signaling is one way we try to feel good about ourselves and be good enough to make up for the wrong we've done. We can't make up for it. A second way we try to deal with guilt is we rationalize what we've done and don't take responsibility for it at all. There is no excuse for the wrong we've done before God and the wrong we've done to others. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Lord will forgive if we confess, say it with, agree with God that what you've done is wrong, it's sin. And forgive means to send it away. He will forgive our sins. He will send it away. He will take it off our back. And we need to believe that and trust that. A final way we try to deal with guilt is to give and serve to make up for the sin we've committed. We, we can't make up for the sin we've committed. We don't need to. God has graciously forgiven us through Jesus Christ's death on the cross. For our sins. There are many types of guilt that we 
have and that we experience in life. And here are five of them. Something you did. This is pretty straightforward. If you did it, you should own up to it and confess it. Something you didn't do. If you think you should have done something and didn't do it, ask God, confess it. He will show you. Third, something you think you did. We can ask God if we've done something we think we did, and he will show us. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin. He has pinpoint accuracy. And I've done this a lot. And he speaks very clearly to me. And he will to you as well. Fourth, failing to help someone. If you fail to help someone you should have helped, and you know it, confess it. God will forgive. The fifth way type of guilt is doing something better than others. If you have pride in doing something better than others, we have a native arrogance in our hearts. It's embedded in our hearts. We think we're the best person in the room most of the time. If you've done that, if you've taken pride in something that you've done better than others, confess it. Sometimes, however, false guilt is dealt with by asking God to show us, show us if we've done any wrong. He consistently shows me when I ask. One of our, one of the names for our enemy, Satan, is accuser. His goal is for us to wallow in vague guilt and keep you from being productive in your Christian walk and life. Revelation 12:10. And I heard a voice, a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. He accuses them day and night before our God. The enemy has gives us, he accuses us in our minds, and we don't... We feel like we've done wrong. The enemy's goal is to get us to justify ourselves. He gives a vague sense of guilt. But the Holy Spirit has pinpoint accuracy when he convicts us. When we try to justify ourselves, we deceive ourselves. 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. The enemy's goal is to get us to justify ourselves apart from the grace of God. We deny the grace God has poured upon us and try to earn our salvation. We can't earn it. It's a gift of God's grace, which is unmerited favor from God for some reason. He loves us. He is love. 
he pours out his love and grace upon us through Jesus Christ. Satan's accusations are vague, indefinite, and persistent. But when the Holy Spirit convicts, he has a pinpoint accuracy. Psychology focuses on forgiving yourself. They take God out of the equation. We need God's forgiveness most of all. Here's a slide of how to forgive yourself. This is pretty good advice. Accept responsibility for your actions. So far, so good. Feel guilty without dwelling. Another piece of solid advice. Amend for your mistakes. We need to make restitution for the wrong we've done, but we can't forgiveness. We can't forgive ourselves. We need, we can forgive ourselves, but we need God's forgiveness more than anything. First John 1 9 again says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God can be just and forgive our sins because Jesus Christ died on the cross as our substitute for our sin. He transferred his righteousness to us on the cross. If we accept what he's done for us and commit ourselves to follow him as Lord. When God has forgiven us, we can focus on what we've learned and grow despite our sins. God's forgiveness is how we move on and grow from our sins, in spite of our sins. I want to step back and try to give the Bible's perspective on our sin. The fact is, the law provides an x-ray into our hearts and shows that we are guilty. Romans 3.20 says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law is like an x-ray into our hearts, and it shows us our sin. I saw an ultrasound of my dad's heart when he was 90. Um, I was amazed that uh, by God's design. I could see the valves opening and closing. Um, it was amazing to watch. To realize he had lived for 90 years and his heart was still working. The doctor said he had the heart of a 70 year old, which was good if, if you're 90. God sees into our heart and is aware of every thought, action, and attitude we have. Every move we make, he's aware. No human being can be justified in God's sight. He sees into our hearts like an 
ultrasound x-ray, but he loves us anyway. For some reason, he is love. He pours out his love upon us and justifies us on the cross. The truth is, we were made good, righteous, and holy. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. We were made in the image of God, and he is righteous and holy. Before Adam sinned, we were righteous and holy. But now, God's image is marred in us after the first sin. We gave our stamp of approval to Adam's sin. We're a mix now of noble and cruel. Genesis 1.31 says, God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. God declared everything he had made was good, including the people he had made. Also, because of Adam's choice, sin has infected the world. Romans 5, 12, 13. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin was not counted where there is no law. Adam was the head of our race, the human race. And when he sinned, the whole world was infected by his sin. Sin permeates our lives and honestly the whole of creation. Sin happened before the law was given. But it is not counted. Sin is not counted where there is no law. We need the x-ray power of the law to become conscious of sin. Sin wreaks havoc on our lives and all of creation. Finally, people are inclined towards sin from birth. Romans 3, 10 through 12, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. We are guilty because God says we are. Not because I say or you say. We might be right. We don't have the authority to define sin apart from the Bible, God's Word. God's Word defines innocence and guilt. False priests, however, promise forgiveness from the group through virtue signaling or telling us what we need to do to forgive ourselves. Here's the truth. 
there are real consequences for our guilt. God brings these consequences, which are God will not allow disobedience to go unpunished. Romans 1, 18 through 21, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his internal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. It's apparent that somebody made this world, the earth and the universe, and we can know God through that. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. What is happening in the world today is the truth is being suppressed and confused, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. However, what can be known is, uh, about God is plain to everyone on earth, namely his physical attributes, his eternal power and divine nature. They've been clearly seen. So we are without excuse. No one has an excuse. We are all guilty before God. All of us, before we came to know God through Jesus Christ, did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. We became futile in our thinking. When we leave God out of our thinking, we become futile in our thinking because there is no wisdom apart from God. You just can't find it. The next consequence is God's justice requires that sin be committed against God. That sin committed against God have a severe punishment. We, we have a habit of judging others for things we do ourselves. On a freeway, uh, we judge people for doing the same things that we do. How dare they do that to us? <laughs> That's wrong. We get angry. We don't cut people any slack for saying the same things that we've said before. This is the pinnacle of pride. We must realize that we can all do the same things that others have done. This is another way we deceive ourselves. Romans 2 says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God 
rightly falls on those who practice such things. We pass judgment on others and we do the very same things. Romans 2 continues, 3 or 4. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume upon the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? It's the kindness of God, the forgiveness of God, the forbearance of God, and his patience that is designed to draw us to him and commit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. We judge those who do the same things we do, and we will not escape the judgment of God. Romans 2.5 says, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. We are destined for the wrath of God, who is storing up wrath for the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. This is our future, apart from God's pardon. Here's how we attain God's pardon. First, God's justice can only be satisfied by each of us making full payment for our sins. But God laid the the our sins he paid for us our our sins. Isaiah 53:6 All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He laid our iniquity, our sin, on Jesus Christ at the cross. We are guilty because every one of us has gone our own way. Jesus is the one that the Lord God laid our iniquity on. Jesus frees us from our sin. Second, a mediator must substitute who is both righteous and strong. First Timothy 2, 5 and 6 says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Just at the perfect time, God gave Jesus Christ to die on the cross. Jesus gave himself as a substitute for us in God's perfect time. Jesus is both righteous and strong. Nahum 1, 6 and 7 says, Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath 
is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. He he knows us. He knows those who run to him. We can run to him and take refuge. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. He is righteous in his indignation and a stronghold for us in the day of trouble. Third, God loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in transgressions, our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. God had mercy on us when we were dead in our trespasses. He he loves us. And that's an amazing thing, that he loves us, even though we have all rebelled against him. Being dead means you can't move. You cannot do anything to help your predicament. You can't earn your salvation in any way. You're dead. You can't move. You're dead spiritually. You can do nothing to earn your salvation whatsoever. You're dead. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. When we could do nothing for ourselves, God sent his son to die for us. And I am grateful for that. We are not condemned because Jesus died in our place. Here's a verse I've memorized and I go to often Romans 8:31 or 8:1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When I feel guilty and condemned, I use this verse like a weapon. The, the Bible is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And I use this as a weapon to battle our enemy, Satan. Fourth, Jesus took the punishment for us. Second Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him who to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are righteous only because he was righteous before us. A key piece of the armor that's mentioned in Ephesians 6.14 is the breastplate of righteousness. Um, The enemy often hammers me that I am not good enough. I'm not righteous enough. And I'm 
Sure, he hammers you too if you're a follower of Christ. But we, Jesus is our righteousness. That's the breastplate of that we put on. He is our righteousness. And he, God sees us through the breastplate of Jesus' righteousness. It's like we've never sinned. That's when we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. When the enemy is hammering us to no end. We are righteous only because Jesus has made us righteous. Praise God that Jesus made us righteous. There is no other way we can get into heaven. I want to wrap up this message by quoting a book uh, by Randy Alcorn called Heaven. I've been reading it the last few weeks because I'm getting closer to heaven than I've ever been. We all are, of course. And I want to know what I can look forward to. Alcorn says, you may think that you don't deserve forgiveness for all you've done. That's exactly right. No one deserves forgiveness. If we deserved it, we wouldn't need it. That's the point of grace. On the cross, Jesus experienced the hell we deserve so that for eternity, we can experience the heaven we don't deserve. I have some next steps to suggest for you to take at the end of the message. We always do this. Uh, first one, I will confess my sins and decide to follow Christ as Lord for the very first time. You, you don't need to justify yourself because Jesus has justified you by his death on the cross. A second step, lay down the weapons of guilt, shame, and condemnation you once used against others. These are relationship killers. They repel people from wanting to relate to you at all. Forgive others as God forgave you. We have no excuse to not forgive others because God has poured his forgiveness in our lives. Refuse to feel guilty for something you've done unless God has called it a sin. If you've sinned, confess, confess it. If the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, confess. But if he hasn't, Refuse to feel feel guilty. You don't need to. Jesus has died for that sin. You can always ask the Spirit if you've done wrong, and he convicts you if you have done wrong. If you but if he he doesn't stab the thought, stick a knife in the thought, and Get rid of the guilt. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your kindness and grace. You've poured out your forgiveness and grace into our lives and mercy. And I praise you for that. I ask that you would help us take these 
steps of obedience to you that you've laid on your heart today. And I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.